Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm David coming at you live from New York City. My guest today is a friend of the podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Geert Vandervelde, CEO of Chessable. How's it going? Hey, David. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it's going all right. I, uh, I have the week off, so um, just uh, relaxing at home. It's uh, It's been uh, a pretty roller coaster year so far, so I finally get to take some time off and just hang out with the family. So it's nice. Nice to be home. It's very nice. And you were, of course, in Madrid for the candidates at one point. I saw you there, uh, you mm-hmm. know, hanging out with Magnus and Anish and all those guys. Uh, how was that? Yeah, I was just an innocent bystander. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that was really cool. Um, we had asked Anish to go to Madrid to film some additional content for Chessable. And um, Chess24 had asked Magnus as well as Judith to be there. So obviously, since the two companies are very close, we also did a bunch of things together. Um, but uh, the, the whole Magnus thing was spontaneous. We, we, we had planned to film some stuff in the park, in this uh, Retiro Park in uh, Madrid, which is just beautiful. Kind of like, imagine if um, Central Park in New York City was a little bit more Victorian and a little bit less uh, touristy, I guess. And then you would have this like these beautiful royal gardens, basically this big park. Uh, so it's this beautiful sitting. But what's what's really amazing is that right in the heart of the park, there's a chess club with like these outside like tables, and and you can just go in and like, you know, get a chessboard and play on the tables, or you can go inside and like they have like, um, you know, regular tournaments and all this stuff. So uh, we knew of this location and, and we decided to kind of go there and uh, film some stuff with Anish, him just playing all comers. We posted something to Twitter and um, and then like, I think an hour or something into it, I got a text from uh, Arcus, the uh, director of the Champions Chess Stories with Magnus. He's like, hey, we're finishing up lunch with Magnus. How about we meet you and Magnus play some games? And we're like, yeah, sounds awesome. So so he ended up showing up and uh, and they played some games. And by that time, uh, Judith was finished with her things that she was doing. And, uh, we got like another message, uh, like, Hey, uh, Judith's here. Like, uh, she's kind of like waiting around to do some stuff. Like, uh, how about she comes over there and plays? So all of a sudden within like the span of like an hour and a half, we had like Judith Polgar, Magnus Carlson and Anish Geary all hanging out together in the park playing blitz. So <laughs> it was incredible. It was a really, really nice. And it was so fun because it was so laid back and, um you know everybody was in good spirits like the the games were just like really you know obviously like they were they were playing really well but it was also like they were just having fun and so the crowd eventually grew and and uh yeah it's really nice atmosphere good times yeah you're just missing me you would have had the four strongest chess players in the world in one place if Mm -hmm. i was there yeah 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 you would have only been (laughs) outrated by about what like i don't know a thousand points yeah yeah something like this yeah something like that yeah well you know, it is what it is. Um, I do wish I was there. It's stupid because I, I, I mean, I literally left. Uh, I left Europe like what a week before the candidates started or something. Like I definitely could have, probably should have, but you know, I had all these bags and stuff, and I just, you know, you know, I don't want to carry like three duffel bags and like a guitar and all that stuff like into some you, small you hotel room. You could have put the stuff in chessable storage for a week and uh, taken a train out to Madrid with me and uh, hung out there. It's a nice city. That was actually yeah. my first time going to Madrid consciously i remember having played a concert there many years ago when i was still doing music but i have no you know the only memory i have is like arriving at the club doing a sound check playing a show being outside the club for an hour and then like getting back in the band and going somewhere so like mm-hmm. this was the first time i actually got to explore the city and um i walked everywhere like i just wanted to see as much of the city as possible so I had uh, three days and um, covered a lot of ground. And it's really, really like the downtown center is really nice. I actually might prefer it over Barcelona because in Barcelona, there's not many pedestrian areas. It's it's only like the Gothic quarter in Barcelona is an area where cars like almost literally cannot enter because the, the alleyways are so small, which is also very cool. But in uh, Madrid, they have these really large areas that are car free, basically, for most of the day. So it's really nice to walk around as a, a tourist, um, getting to check out the the city. And um, man, those people stay out late. I think <laughs> at one point we wanted to film some early morning stuff uh, in the Retiro Park, so we got up at like six, and I think like half the city was still outside 
drinking on the terraces and hanging out and doing stuff. So very, very interesting dynamic in the, in, in the cities like that, where, where it gets crazy hot. Cause I think they, when we were there, I think it was like hundred, 105, 110 degrees Fahrenheit, which like 40 degrees, close to 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. You could see like people were like a little, little sweaty, like even in the, like even in like the, like, let's say like the coverage or you, yeah, you could just see like, Hey, I, I mean, I, yeah, I heard it was like some crazy heat wave there when everyone got there. So. Yeah. The worst had, had was over already, but it was still, still really, really hot. It still really is really hot in Spain right now. Um, I'm not sure what it's like in New York, but. Right, right now it's fine. It's like, well, for my European listeners, you're not going to like this, but it's uh, what is it like between 90 ish, yeah, eighty-five to ninety Fahrenheit. By the oh, way, that's that's like similar to here, I guess. Like, yeah, it's slightly hotter here, but that's like that's like twenty-five to twenty-seven degrees Celsius, I think, something like this. Yeah, but here we kill the planet, so we have air conditioning everywhere, and mm-hmm. uh, in Europe, that's not the case usually, right? So, no, nah, maybe. Me, I... Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Air conditioning. I, I I could go for some air conditioning right now, but uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's funny. Um. I was thinking about this yesterday because it was a little hot outside yesterday. It was very nice for me because, you know, I was in Copenhagen for 10 months, so I'm loving the heat. But, yeah. like, um, you know, when you're in science, like, you know, everything's in Celsius. And I, I think, like, America should switch everything, like, to meters and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, what, what, like, like it just the metric system is better, except for, for temperature. Because zero being cold and 100 being hot just makes sense. Like, yeah. Yeah, like doing it to like from minus 10 to 40 or whatever, like that doesn't make sense. Zero to 100, that makes sense. You were at the candidates. Oh, you also, you played uh, you played 1B3 as a ceremonial first move. That's like an yeah. act of terrorism almost. Were <laughs> um, you kicked well, out? Uh, no, that was kind of a last minute thing. Um, I mean uh hikaru plays 1b3 and blitz a lot right yeah Um, yeah but it was actually a little bit of an inside joke between me and and um ian nepomyashi because um he did a chessable course um last year and uh our our call about this was uh something like this it was like a pretty pretty short call but I, I took a Zoom call with him and we were like on the video back and forth. And uh, I was like, are you really sure you want to do a course in King's Gambit? And he's like, what's wrong with the King's Gambit? You have a course on 1B3. Like, if you can do a course on 1B3, I can do a course on King's Gambit. And I was like, all right. Yeah, touche. <laughs> okay, yeah. let's do it. So uh, so, so he did. And and he, and he like, he really is into the King's Gambit. Like, that, he put a lot of work into that. Um, I think, in fact, like, it was his world championship team that put a whole lot of work into making files, like, really cutting edge. And, like, uh, whatever that Russian supercomputer is that he used for his world championship prep, that's definitely the computer they ran to, uh, to make those King's Gambit files for his chessable course on the King's Gambit correct. So, um, obviously, it's a slightly... Um, you know, edgy opening, but um, whatever they did with that, that supercomputer, it, it spit out these lines, and uh, this is the analysis that uh, that uh, Ian gave. So it's a, a pretty wild course, but um, yeah. So that was the inside joke was 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 to to him that uh, you know he was kind of like teasing me about the one B three course. I was like, all right, let's play one B three. And I, <laughs> I asked, I I asked him. I walked up. I was like, it's got to be one B three, right? And he was like, yep. Go ahead. And so, so I made the move and Hikaru's laughing. And I think he, two minutes later, he was still shaking his head, laughing at that. So I think, I think, uh, you know, mission accomplished. Mission I'll, I'll accomplished. probably never ever be, yeah, I'll probably never ever be asked to make another ceremonial move again, but uh, that's okay. I got my one B three move in and never have to do it again either. And you got it on a pretty high stage too. So <laughs> not the world championship, but candidates good enough. That's that. Yeah, that's but that's the that's the next step. You know, you got to bring the the terror to the highest stage. I think that should be your goal. Oh, I was uh, supposed to make a ceremonial move there, and then the, all sorts of like uh, behind the scenes. Oh no, we can't do it last minute. All sorts of stuff. So, uh, and this ended up actually not being planned. I just happened to be there, and um, and so uh, they were like, "Oh yeah, this guy canceled. Can you make ceremonial first move because it's your birthday and it's such a surprise?" I was like, "Oh, that's so nice of you." So. So I made the move. I didn't realize you were in Dubai too. Yeah, I was in Dubai for um week and a half or something. Um, 
I uh, I flew back the day after game six. So I was there for the opening and I was there for the first few games. Um, yeah, we had a lot of stuff going on there with uh, Chessable. We had a camera crew on the ground filming stuff. Um, so, yeah, so it was good for me to be there and see what that was like and meet a lot of the folks there, met a lot of people. So it was very good. Wow. Yeah, I also I was thinking I found tickets back in like September that were like crazy cheap in Dubai. Um, I don't know why I decided against it. I mean, to be, I had like Peter Hein and Nielsen on the podcast, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he, I, he even I know he's Max's coach, but I mean, I love learning just kind of about the behind the scenes of like what Dubai looked like during that game because you know you saw Twitter go crazy the next day and all that, but like. You know, I, I would have loved to actually be there. I'm sure it would have, like, blown my mind. Maybe I would have been exhausted, too. I don't know. But I think it would have been a lot of fun. Um, I thought that the the setting was interesting. Um, it was in this big theater in this big complex. And I'm generally not a fan of the way that chess tournaments are kind of hidden away in these, these places. Uh, I'm not sure what the best thing to do there is. But the way it was done, at least in um, Madrid, was much more accessible and um, there was more people coming in and much more energy around the, the tournament and also people like outside in the streets. And there was just a lot more happening. So I, I feel like that for sure is the way to go. But there's a lot. It can be improved a lot. But in Dubai, the World Championship is part of this expo. huge expo. And so... That felt like I'm not sure if you've ever been to Epcot Center in um, in Disneyland. Have you ever been to Epcot? I've never been to Epcot. I've never been to Disneyland either, actually. Not okay. a real American. Okay, well, so Epcot has like all these little mini countries, right? So it's like like there's like this, and, and they're all cliches. So like they're all like you know like the Dutch part of it is a windmill or something and then i'm not even sure if there's a dutch part there but like like all of them you know like the german parts like this little bavarian house and the french part is something with whatever wine and and there's always something there but like they're they're all these kind of like little little archetypes basically and so the expo is like this massive terrain but it's like hyper modern version of epcot center so like all these countries have their like pavilions and they're all showing something with sustainability or future technology or whatever their theme is that they want to show off. And these buildings are really cool. And then, um, and then they have like local food, like that they're, they're, they're serving their traditional, you know, cuisine and they have like little restaurants. It's really fun. So like you can walk around there for definitely like one or like at least a week or something and like visit all the pavilions and see all this stuff and eat all the food. So it's, it's a very cool place to walk around at. But um, the chess was kind of like off to the side in this this big, um, uh, you know, like theater inside one of the main buildings. Uh, and um, yeah, that's where like, I think like, I'm not sure how full that theater was, but it, there weren't a lot of people watching the game. It was just- It did more... look a little weird, right? Like the, with the panels also, they kind of looked like they were like in the, like aquarium. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure the right way to go with chess world championships is because on the one hand, you have to worry about the players getting disturbed and all this other stuff. On the other hand, like, um, you know, like, I, I mean, uh, there was this famous tournament and I want to say that it was, was it Linares where they had this glass box that was like, you could see the players, but they couldn't hear you. I want to look this up. Um, that was also like the well, first Carlson Anand match too. Was the same thing. Like they were like in like basically like some sort of glass box in Chennai, and you just saw the press and like people like looking all over. I saw some documentary about Magnus on Netflix. I don't even know if it's still there. It was called Magnus, and I remember seeing like the videos from that and being like, "Whoa, that's really weird." <laughs> yeah, um, I think it was Linares. I'm trying to look this up now, but. Um... Um, yeah, in any case, like that's where it was actually happening outside and people could see it. I'm not sure, you know, if that, um, how much value it adds, but what I can say is that, for example, um, if you go anywhere in the world and you see a bunch of guys or girls playing chess on the street, people will 
will gather around that. So slowly but surely people will kind of like crowd around what's going on. So I could totally imagine the chess world championship being played in some like open square or something in this kind of a, in this kind of a space. So you can actually see the players sitting there thinking and playing, but at the same time, like adding this kind of like more free moving flowing thing around it so that it's not so hidden away in a theater or a thing. Like I feel like the magic kind of gets lost if you hide chess too much, but in any case, it's, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's still a game where two people are sitting down and they're, you know, most of the game is under underwater. Basically it's all like all the calculation and all the moves are, are hidden from, from uh, even from like strong players, like right. can't always follow what's going on. You know um, what you could do, you could, you could make like a show match between me and Anish Giri and try that, pick some city like Madrid, let's say, and put us in a, some box and I would destroy him probably. It wouldn't be fair. It'd be like 10-0, you know, rapid match, but it would be a like, good um, way to test the format. And Anish would have to play without a queen and two rooks or something, right? To make that fair. No, 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 Eden, Eden. We're equal strength. You know, we're completely equal strength. I actually should give a shout out to Anish Giri because I like, I switched to the French defense because of his course. It's like that good on Chessable. It's like, it's actually yeah? that good. Yeah, it's, and I, 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 you can, longtime fans of the podcast can like dig back and hear me curse the French defense, but I've I've been learning it, and it's been uh, it's been it's been a really good course, and I've been doing really well with it. So shout out to Anish Kiri. Um, unfortunately, I can't use the French against him because I'm like using his prep. You know what I mean? But like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good stuff. Check that out, chessball.com/slash/French. I think. So so the um, so so the challenge here is uh, like you've thrown down the the challenge to Anish Kiri to meet you in Madrid for a for ten game death match. Yeah, the challenge is there. The challenge is there. If he accepts, it's you know he can accept if he wants to or not. What's the time control? We could do you know let's say ten plus two because he'll need the increment more than me. I'm a speed demon, you know. Okay. I'm a re- real smack talker, by the way. Hmm. <laughs> Let me send him a message right now. Let <laughs> me see if if he'll play a ten game death match against you. Let's see if Anish is awake. Hey, Anish. <laughs> David Fizgan wants a 10-game death match with you. This is like I'm listening to my last will and testament being written right now. Um, We'll see. We'll see if he replies. If you hear a ping, that must be Anish writing me back. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Let's see. Yeah. Um, who's the? I think the strongest player I've ever played was Maxime Vacher Lagrave. I played him during pandemic, like in a simul. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, that was pretty good. And uh, I did a lot of prep mm-hmm. in the dragon because I used to play the dragon back then, and he played right into my prep. So I thought, oh, I'm doing great. And then he played like played one. one move i didn't look at and then i lost was like losing five minutes five moves later it was crazy um and that's like when i realized like how crazy good like super gms are i played simon williams in oslo actually i actually was up two pawns against him and not like two pawns like you know but like completely losing like i was like up two pawns probably was like a lot better and i got tricked big time and he destroyed me with like some un- unbelievable tactic like tactical finish like some some crazy night sack uh, and, uh, you know, I was there, I was like one of my friends in Oslo and like some other people were watching in this like good night pub and uh, yeah, it was a little humiliating, but, but it was good. And then we, we, we shared a beer after we went outside, like had a cigarette together or whatever, you know, it was cool. It was cool. We chatted. He's a very nice guy. I have to say. Yeah. As Simon does sharing a beer with his, with his victims usually. Oh, I bought oh. it for him. I bought him. Oh, beer. okay. Yeah. I'm a big, Yeah. <laughs> True Stockholm syndrome for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny. Well, so you're saying you have you know who, you know, like have you ever played like uh? Well, I saw you played. You played some strong people in uh, in Madrid. You post posted some pictures. I did. I I put yeah yeah I, I, I mean um. You played Judith's father, maybe. No, he was showing me. He has this really unique version of chess called. Uh, I think it's superstar polgar superstar chess let me look the name up i forget now i think it's polgar yeah polgar superstar chess 
And um, I mean, you can look up, you can look this up on YouTube, but it's like all hex, hexagonal. Um, so it's 64 squares, but they're not in a square. It's like a star shaped board. And um, yeah, it's really the, the, uh, the pieces still move the same, but because the squares are hexagonal and stuff, it, it gets a little, it's really interesting. So he was showing me that and he was showing me some studies that he composed for that board and for that version of chess. And they were crazy, crazy hard. So I, I, but, but he, but I, I, I stuck with it. So I think he appreciated my effort in trying to understand what he was trying to show me. So you're going to implement a uh, play zone for uh Polgar superstar chess. Maybe. No, no, no <laughs> Polgar superstar chess in, in the, but, um, but uh, it was cool. I mean, he, it's definitely unique. Like you definitely get to see some, uh, you start thinking about the geometry uh, much differently when, when you have that kind of a board and when pieces start to move in, in that different way, basically. Right. Um, so it was cool. It was, it, was, it was cool that he took the time out to show me this. Another thing I was, uh, you know, I guess on that note, I kind of made this joke about like implementing this like play zone for this game, but like on a real mm -hmm. note, like, you know, I feel like last year was like your, we could call this like your chessable state of the union address basically. Cause I know like our podcast episode is still pinned on your, uh, on your Twitter and uh yeah the first one yeah which is great uh it was like the most listened podcast episode of mine uh for like a really long time and now some others have like really like shot up in like the last few weeks but like ours was like the most listened i think just because people will like come on your profile like click the podcast episode and listen so it's pretty like pretty good like passive advertising actually yeah um, that's cool to hear yeah but yeah like what is chessable going to be up to like in the rest of 2022 like what what's Ch what's been the year of chessable basically well, um, it's been a roller coaster. Like I said at the beginning of the uh, of the interview, um, we started out with a pretty strong January, and then in February, everything just kind of ground to a halt as far as like growth was, and as far as like our whole strategy, which which had been uh, you know aimed at becoming a a, a break even profitable company by the end of this year. But um, I think it was a few different factors that changed uh, in kind of a really short amount of time. Uh, one of them is that the, the, the Fed changed the interest rates and Chessable has a really big market share in the U.S. So a lot of our U.S. customers were hit with like, you know, uh, a lot of inflation as well. And then um, the, uh, the war in Ukraine also, I think, affected a lot of things. So like gas prices shot up and, and then there were uh, various things with like, the uh, supply chain getting affected. So that changed the entire macroeconomic environment uh, in the world. And um, we started seeing that as well in, the, in the, the growth that we were having adjustable, not, not so much in user numbers, but mostly in like the amount of sales per average customer or something that we were having. So whereas before, up until like late December, uh, everything was going really fast. All of a sudden we were faced with this new reality that we had to adjust to. And uh, that meant that over the next couple of months, our growth kind of leveled out to a new baseline that was lower or kind of equal to what it was before. Um, and, um, but not going up, right? And we had optimized for, for growth and built our teams for, for growth towards the end of this year. And so that meant that uh, in, uh, in June now, a few weeks ago, it's been like three weeks ago now that we had to let go of a sizable portion of our team because uh, it was no longer sustainable for us to uh, to keep them on, which is really sad. And uh, it's obviously not something that we ever want to go through again, but it was very necessary, um, pain, painful, but very necessary. So that was a big, big thing that happened this year is going from this kind of growth story year over year over year into like what is now looking like uh, will probably be an economic recession and us having to change the company strategy and us having to change our internal, you know, uh, also our internal organization again, based on what the new reality is. So that there, there were a lot of key learning points there. Um, but that was really 
that's definitely what's kept me up for the past three months, basically, like worrying about that and working on that. But uh, I feel pretty confident now moving forward that uh, that we've done this. And and obviously, like everybody that we let go uh, has been let go with the severance package and we're taking care of them. We're still in touch with most of them. Um, and uh, some of them will continue to work for us on a more freelance basis, just not on payroll. Yeah, that was an interesting challenge this year that we we had to overcome. Um, and then, um, I mean, I haven't been CEO for that long. So I, you know, I took over from David Cranley last year in October when he wanted to take more of a backseat and wanted to have a little bit more of a break. So that was also interesting for me because, um, up until that point, I was chief content officer. I was responsible for everything that had to do with, you know, the, um, the courses and the catalog and working with all the authors and, um, building all the processes and, and training the managers and the team to continue to uh, deliver what we want to deliver for all of just, you know, just those customers, which is as many great courses as we can deliver in a short amount of time. And uh, our goal was to, to scale the catalog to over a thousand courses, which I think we might be still on track to hit that number by the end of this year, if all goes well, but yeah, that's uh that was what I was responsible for. And now obviously my role has changed. So I'm responsible for the entire well-being of the company. And, uh, and that means that I have a different, a little bit of a different role, uh, in, in Chessable, which was also not a complete surprise because I knew that David at some point wanted to do this, but the, it came much earlier than I anticipated. I thought that I would probably take over around now, as opposed to last year in October already, but, uh, business is business and things move sometimes much faster than you think they do. Right. Yeah. Also, have you seen the, uh, like the consumption numbers rebound at all? Like in terms of people like purchasing courses, has that rebounded since like, you know, January, February, or is it still kind of on a dip? Um, it's, it's what, so it's not rebounded to 2021 numbers, but it's, uh leveled out to what we think is like a really good baseline now so it's at the same level that it was at last year if we're comparing it to like the last quarter of 2021 but it's very comparable to where we were at around the same time last year so you know if you want to be a growth company then obviously you don't want to be in the same place uh now as you were a year ago but if you take into account that um you know, the macroeconomic environment changed, that uh, consumers are spending a lot less on on uh, on e-commerce and they have less to spend. If you take into account that also, I mean, we've seen this also in the other numbers, right? Like you, you I'm sure everybody's seen the, uh, the Levy Rosman tweet about uh, the kind of like chess boom being over, for example. We're in a different phase, I think, of where chess is right now. I think we had an amazing run of two years where chess was kind of like huge and like in the mainstream and et cetera. And I think we're settling to a new baseline now that's lower than what the peak of that momentum was. But uh, that also changes how everybody is now adjusting to that reality. And uh, Chessable is no different from many of the other companies in the in the chess world right now in that... Uh, we, we're also feeling that, and uh, that's 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 how we're trying to, you know, move forward. Yeah, it's it's it is like difficult to talk about like the chess boom in that regard, right? Because it was never going to last like forever, right? And so the question is now like, how many people who got into chess like two years ago are sticking with it? And I think. One thing I, so you shared something about, you were just looking at these chess.com chessable numbers. And I was just looking at, I think it was the US, um, chessable has like about 2% of the traffic that chess.com has, right? Chess.com is the biggest, you know, chess server online. And to me, oh, that okay. was, but that, that was remarkable to me. That was remarkable yeah. to me. Yeah. I mean, you, you make no mistake about it. Like chessable gets about, I think in June we had 2.8 million individual visits to the site. Uh, and I think chess.com's at like 140 million, right? right? So so there's a there, but but you have to keep in mind they're serving an entirely different 
customer base than Chessable. Chessable is serving the niche within the niche that is chess. That's exactly right? what so, I was about to say. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like we're on the same page about this because like if one to two percent, like that's why I was really wanted to ask you is like, what is the strategy, let's say, to get these people like like let's say a lot of my friends who who got into it during the Queen's Gambit mm -hmm. and now they'll just play Blitz like in the bathroom or like, you know, they'll check out a, a video by Gotham Chess every like other month or something. And they have like a passive interest. They know the rules now. They're like they're kind of hovered over because that's like a lot of chess players. And like, do you think that there's like a way to, let's say, get those kinds of people maybe interested in a chess pool course and to like into get into chess study? Because like chess study is like work. It's like studying for like a course at its worst. I mean, some of these lifetime repertoires are insane amount of work if you really want to learn them down and like just to get better at a game. So like it, it is, you know, it, it is like the niche within the niche. And I, I'm like just curious, you know, because I'm a big fan of chess. Well, I'm curious, like how, how do you guys like strategize like to try to get like more people to buy courses? Okay, so first I'm going to say something about the lifetime repertoires uh, real quick. I think I love them, by the way. I wasn't meaning to slander them. No, 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 no. I, I, I think um, so the way that I think. And this is why if you if you have ever purchased a lifetime repertoire, there's a quick starter guide or sometimes there's multiple quick starter guides in in a lifetime repertoire. The point of the lifetime repertoire is not to drill the entire thing front to back, right? Like because like like uh, if you take um, Anish Giri's lifetime repertoire part one and part two, I think it's up to like 2000 lines or something that you would have to know front to back. But that's not really the the point. The point is. It's a almost like a reference manual to how Wesley So would play one e4 and all the resulting positions arising after X amount of moves. And of course, if you're just a pro member, you can actually like change your settings so that you could uh, learn a repertoire only six moves deep or, or seven moves deep. Like it, you don't have to go balls to the wall by learning the two thousand lines that are part of this repertoire. But the the idea is is that you know, you learn the core lines and then slowly over time, you add those lines that you meet in practical play, whether it be online or whether it be in a tournament setting. And, uh, and then you increase your study based on your play. So of course you can try to cram the entire repertoire uh, front to back, but I think it's much more practical to take this approach of like, I'll learn the quick starter guide, I will take a look at the moves that uh, I face most of the time in my game. And then you continue to kind of add those lines to your study load on chess. So the way that I would learn a lifetime repertoire is I, I don't learn it front to back. I would like uh, take the quick starter guide and then um, I would uh, face some line in blitz or something and be like, oh, okay. I wonder if that's covered in the course. And if it's covered in the course, then I, and then I study that line and I add that to my study load. And that's how I kind of over time, like uh, increase my uh, knowledge of an, of a certain opening that I want to learn how to play and that I want to be able to recall when I'm, when I'm playing opponents. So that, that said about lifetime repertoires, I think um, there's this ongoing discussion on whether or not, you know, you're supposed to learn all the, all the moves, but I don't think that's, that's the goal. Like if you buy a chess opening book, you're also not going to remember every single page of the opening book. It, 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 lifetime repertoires is an interactive version of a chess theory opening manual. And it shows you what to do sometimes in theoretical positions, sometimes in practical positions based on statistics. And it, but it's, but it's supposed to be this manual for you to reference as opposed to drill from, you know, you're not going to drill the phone book either. In any case, that, that's lifetime repertoire's question. I think going back to the bigger question, which you were ask, asking, uh, which was about, um, you know, what does Chessable do to get, let's say, the kind of casual chess player uh, to capture them and have them uh, come and like study on Chessable? I'm not sure Chessable right now is a platform that is built for, for those friends of yours who, you know, play blitz in the bathroom. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a place where people who want to improve a chess and who want to dedicate time to study chess, uh, go because we offer a unique learning experience that other websites don't offer. You know, we have spaced repetition built into our algorithm, which helps people recall, you know, openings or end games or like drill tactics 
over time. And then we have this vast library of content, whether it's like classical, classical chess books turned into interactive books or, or like lots of original content. We have this big library for you to choose from. So it's, it's much more of a, a gym, I would say. Like not everybody who uh, plays a sport goes to the gym to improve, right? Like if you're a, um, you might like enjoy a casual pickup game of basketball, but that doesn't mean that you're going to go and like practice your free throw every single day. But if you are the kind of player who enjoys basketball and wants to get better competitively and enjoys working on your three free throw, then chessable is the place to go, right? Then we're the chess gym for you to get better over time, to use our tools, to use our content, to train yourself to become a better chess player. And so I think for that kind of player, we're the, we're the home. And that's always what we've aimed at being. Like we've never aimed at being the chess.com uh, of the world, which, which is a, an entirely different uh, goal. Like chess.com wants to be a place where exactly those friends that you just described uh, would go, right? They would go and play a casual game of blitz on the toilet or, you know, like maybe after watching Levy Rosman on YouTube, they're inspired to go and play in a, a little tournament or something and, and join one of those arenas or whatever. That's what chess.com is built. And that's what they do really well, which is they, they capture the beginner's audience and they built a product for that beginner's audience. Uh, Chessable is much more on the other side of that spectrum. Like we're the place where like all the young chess prodigies go to drill their openings and where like, top GMs go to check out the latest theory. And, and of course, we also have a lot of content for, let's say, ambitious club players. But, if, but I think that's how you have to look at the, the two companies there if you want to make a comparison. And, and, and it makes perfect sense that if you compare those two uh, and you compare the how long they've been around as well, and that a company like Chess.com would be like, you know, 100 times bigger than a company like Chessable. And, and I think Chessable still has a lot of room to grow because we only started five and a half years ago. So it's still very much a case of us having to, you know, uh, establish ourselves as a brand, having to go to all the club players in the world and show our product and show them the value. And then I think eventually over time, we can grow to become a well-established brand. Uh, but right now we're very much still a startup, you know, trying to become that long-term home for the ambitious chess player. Yeah, absolutely. I think also, I mean, I think the court versus gym analogy is perfect. And quite frankly, like when you put it that way, uh, you wouldn't even expect as many chessable users as you actually have, which I think is is a testament to how good the product is, right? I mean, I don't need to tell you, like, I'm, I know you know that, or you wouldn't work there. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly a huge fan of chessable. Look, I'll be... I'll actually be the first to say that there's so much room for improvement for us. I'm not like ever happy with where we are and uh, I can't be right. But like nobody at Chessable is happy with where we are. We're always looking to improve, always trying to do better, but these things What's... take time. Like uh, there, there's lots of stuff that I can imagine that we're, we're going to be doing in the future. We're working on lots of things to, to deliver for our customers over time. It's not ever, we're not ever done. Um, you know, making the product better. Right. So, I mean, one of the recent things we, we, we delivered was offline video mode. That sounds so basic, but it's really hard to do. Like, it's not so easy to, you know, make sure that people can uh, download all the video content that we have up in Chessable into the app and then like watch it, you know, offline. But this was a much requested feature by our customers who were commuting to work every single day who didn't have bandwidth on the train or like whenever they were driving or whatever. So that was something that we delivered. Uh, another thing that we recently did, which was something that people kept asking us to do, which we thought was really cool, was to um, give you a tactics course personalized by uh, which, which connects to your play zone, whether you play in chess.com, chess24 or, or lead chess. And then it sources puzzles from your games and puts them in this personalized chessable course for you with like puzzles from your own game so that you don't have to like go through your games to find the tactics that you missed. It's automatically done, automatically added to your course. And then you can train those puzzles. You can also pause them and delete them if, if you think they're not so, not so useful. But I, I personally found that really cool that, uh, you know, I just connected my 
my leeches username. And then like, I got my, my, um, and now it's like adds these puzzles to my games. And then every once in a while I'll go over those and I'll be like, Oh, wow. I didn't realize I missed this or that. And, and, and then, uh, you know, I add those to my study load. Sometimes I'll pause the course and whatever, but it kind of depends on the phase of my, uh, chess activity as well. But, but those are two of the things that we're working on, but there's going to be lots of more stuff that we're, that we're hoping to deliver over time, right? Like even, even our, move trainer right or spaced repetition algorithm it's not done being developed it can do so, it should be able to do so much more right like right now if you're familiar with chessable then you know that we have this thing called a soft fail which means let's say you have a, a puzzle position on the board and you want to solve the puzzle but um you saw a solution to the puzzle that wasn't pre-programmed into move trainer well then the the right now move trainer will say, okay, you know, that was an alternative, but please find the uh, correct move. Like there's like other software that's already been developed um, that already allows you to then play through that particular branch that you found, right? So it should be able, like in the future, it should be possible for us to allow you to train a tactics puzzle by training all four of the different branches that branch off of one particular tactical sequence in a, in a game so that you can actually learn all four of them. And you can actually show like, Oh, you know, I calculated out all these four branches and the best move is this one, but actually this works too. And now I can show that too, so that you can, you know, so that you can kind of more accurately um, uh, create that kind of live set. So there's that. Um, and there's so many other things. There's some stuff that obviously, I'm not revealing yet just because that's like, there's some stuff that we're working on that's kind of like competitive advantage uh, uh, stuff, but that I'm really excited about, but um, yeah, we're never done working on Chessable, never done trying to deliver value for customers. Cause that's why we started Chessable and that's what we, why we've built it to be what it's like is, is we're, we're chess fans and like everybody that works on the content side at Chessable and a lot of the developers that work on the Chessable core product, they're like, they're chess fans. Like they're, they're people who really, you know, want this product to be better because they love using it themselves. Yeah, no, I, I, I the one thing you said about, um, you know, modifying move trader for like, let's say tactics books. I mean, that would like revolutionize the way you really study tact. I mean, you, you would really be like objectively better than any other way to study tactics. If you have like a puzzle book on a certain theme and you have different ways to do it, you know, I mean, that, that would just be amazing. Cause I, even most books, you can't like, can't edit a book once it's out. Right. You can't like, it also frustrates me sometimes when you do these like Lee chess puzzles or chess.com puzzles, it's the same problem. You find a really good, interesting line and maybe it's not the best line. And then they say, no, it's wrong. And you'll lose like 15 rating points. You check after it. It's like, okay, instead of minus 10, it was like minus two, but it's yeah. actually still extremely strong objectively. Just the engine finds some crazy, crazy. Yeah, so I mean, it's it, nice to it, like do that. Yeah, it would be. I mean, I mean, um, uh, CTR, you know, was developed, I think in the nineties or something. And uh, I think that, that um, product uh, was, already like was would show you the three or four different branches after a, uh, after a tactical sequence so it would make you b basically reverse uh, the tactic so let's say you found the second best option then it would say yeah okay that's also good now how would you finish that sequence off and then it would reverse you back to the starting point of that branch and it would say okay but now find the best move right you found the the option that's like plus two, but now find the plus 10 one. And, and that's a great way to learn because it, it shows you, it teaches you to, to like finish something off correctly, but it also tells you like, Hey, hold on a minute. Like you had something better, take another look. And then, uh, so that's the kind of stuff that we want to eventually, you know, like include in move trainer. And there's, there's lots of other things too. Like, um, uh, uh, like right now we've implemented the important lines feature on Chessable in a very light way, but it should be possible for us in the future to say, um, to, com to compare the important lines with your actual play. And then to say, Hey, look, you play, you've played, uh, 400 games in, in your preferred play zone. And, uh, here's how you fare in your opening repertoire these are the lines you should pay more attention to and these are the lines that show up the most in your play that you should add to your study load so that's the kind of stuff that we're working on now to like make make the whole learning experience more personalized uh, yeah that, that i mean that's that sounds fantastic
Uh, you, know, you guys also released Chessable Classroom. I myself haven't used it, but I've met people who have used it, to, and I think that's also that's a really interesting feature. I, it's good. Like I also, I, in general, I, I had someone on my podcast last week who basically has like start made like a startup like 15 years ago about um, you know basically just like implementing chess into classrooms, and mm -hmm. I, I think it's very it's been really cool to see. This is like something, you know, that's completely ignored by the chess movement. This has been something that's been happening in America for the last like 20 years, like this real emphasis of like chess in schools. Yeah. Uh, and now we're really starting to see like after a long time, we're starting to really see the impact, not just on, you know, the people who become like, you know, national champions, but, you know, the people who just, uh, uh, you know, who played like a little bit of chess for two years. And it still was like something they they'll have for the rest of their life, you know. And uh, it's nice to see basically that like even like chess.com, chessbull, now everyone has like some sort of service for kids to get better at chess too. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's another one of those areas where we hope to improve. And actually we built Classroom, uh, which is our live learning environment for uh, teachers and uh, and students of chess to, to gather around a, a live interactive chessboard. Um, we built that by testing it out on hundreds and hundreds of kids because if the hardest thing to do is to build a software product that can engage 30 kids at the same time and have one central teacher, right? Like try doing it in a classroom, let alone try doing it on a, you know, digital platform where the teacher's not actually in the room to keep, you know, all the, all the kids engaged for as long as uh, they have to be engaged during that lesson. And um, so, so that was a really, really great learning curve for us. And, and we took so much away from that that we implemented. And, and I think that's why, now when we're we're about to launch the full um uh you know version like not the beta version because it's been in beta for for a long time but we're about to publicly release it uh this quarter like i think that's why it's getting such a good rep already with the coaches is because they they can feel that they have this interaction with students that they that they haven't had with another uh online uh product to teach chess yeah it's really really awesome I guess the last the last thing I wanted to ask you about today, um, more about you know your own chess. Have you improved the chess at all in the last year that we spoke? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't remember where I was at lead chess rating wise because that's my preferred play zone still. Um, I think probably I was close to two thousand, and I peaked out earlier this year twenty two hundred. Um, so right now I think I'm like somewhere in mid two thousands or something. But um, I've noticed, because uh, I play a lot of uh, over-the-board blitz um, in the office, like, uh, you know, after work or something, or like a quick lunch break or something. Like, there's always people to play with, which is really nice. But I've noticed that um, I, I've developed a lot more positional understanding, and, and that's been really fun so that I can't, I'm not just playing for tricks, but also, like, I can kind of, like, steer the game in a certain direction now a little bit and like i'll get a pawn structure and like okay i know that this pawn structure how to play this and like i know when to play up my pawns and what to do and um so i definitely feel like i've improved uh not just from a rating perspective but also from an understanding perspective and and that's really encouraging i mean that's why i study chess and play chess is just because i enjoy learning more just understanding more of it so that i can get more out of it so for me, that's always been the, the, the main driver for me. I, I know I can get up with like trying to get to a certain rating or whatever, but now I've kind of let that go. And I, I feel really happy just, you know, knowing that I sometimes have like an idea or a spot, something that like I wouldn't have seen a year ago or two years ago. So I feel like I've improved. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, I, I didn't want to, uh, you know, it's, it's been a year. But I, I mean, it's it's funny, like uh, kind of interacting with with uh, with you on Twitter, and like also, let's say, you know, talking about Casey Musgraves and stuff like that is uh, it's it's pretty chill. Thought I got a message from Anish back. He said, "Who's David Visgan, and why does he wish death?" <laughs> well, uh, well, come on, David, why do you wish death upon Anish Giri? Um. Well. It's not real death. <laughs> I didn't okay, expect I'll it to explain. answer. Yeah, you yeah. answered, yeah. Well, tell him that I'm the I'm the I'm the podcast guy. Yeah, I did. Uh okay. and as for why why death? Um I'll, okay, I'll tell him not real death, like fake death. 
Chest death. <laughs> chest death. Okay, like chest death. Okay, I I told him. So I'm sorry. You were saying something before. Yeah, I I didn't really know where I was going with this. I, I had like oh, I'm sort sure of like keep this little side combo going. Yeah, I had like three. Uh, I had like three things I wanted to say at once. I just think it's funny, you know. Uh, on one hand, like uh, you know, we chat about like music, like Casey Musgraves, and like you know, black metal on Twitter sometimes. And yeah. then on the other hand, like, uh, well, yeah, you're you're still the CEO of this of this you know, growing chess company. And I guess the, the what I was wondering is like, you know, if you have any advice for people who are trying to, you know, get into this kind of business not just chess business but just into this like kind of like you know innovation side of things like about the because you know we talked to him in the last podcast i don't kind of didn't want to do it again about you know your weird path to like working adjustable from like you know being a metalcore mm -hmm. vocalist and stuff <laughs> i mean <laughs> uh, that's the short version right like let's keep in mind that um I, I was in the music industry for 20 years i spent 10 years coaching other music professionals i was a uh i had my own publishing company uh, so I worked with copywriting. I was a booking agent. I was a manager. I did a lot of different things. I was a project manager for for like um, um, like theater production type stuff. So so I, I wore a lot of different hats and I learned a lot of different things. And I think that's always kind of been my strong suit. I'm not I'm not a specialist in anything, but I'm a generalist who enjoys learning and, and likes to to take on new challenges. And I think that's what's been really helpful for me is that I've had a little bit of, I've done a little bit of everything. Like at Chessable, for example, I worked on the content in like publishing management side, I worked every single job. So I started out as publishing manager, but that also meant I was designing courses. I was writing the copy. I was writing the marketing emails. I was, uh, you know, like doing the social media. I was editing the videos. I was, you know, like doing the negotiations with the authors. I was like doing outreach to people. I was setting up events, like all that stuff is like kind of like been in my wheelhouse and slowly but surely, you know, the responsibilities changed, but the, let's say the general knowledge that I have of the business is pretty wide. I can, I can, and that's why I can, you know, like I can sit in a marketing meeting, but I can also sit in a product meeting and I can also sit in on like an executive uh, management meeting because I, I can talk about all those things and I can kind of like put them all together and keep the overview of the company. Um, and and I, I've taken a lot of that from my experience in the music industry and, and just basically applied it to chess. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, there's the fun, the, the more fun side of the story to tell is that, yeah, I used to scream and play in punk and metal bands. And then like I played uh, as a singer songwriter and I was a musician. And eventually now I work for a chess company as a CEO of a chess company. But, um, you know, I'm 43. I spent, you know, 25 years of my life, like basically doing startups because, uh, and this is something that uh, me and uh, our uh, former group CMO, uh, Scott Dodson share is like being in a band is like being in a startup. It's very similar. There's the similarities are just absolutely uncanny and, and how much of the, 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 the same things that you do and the same things that you have to acquire, like having a band is basically like having a bootstrapped startup four or five people who are all trying to accomplish the same goal. And you're trying to grow your company, you know, your music business. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's, I, I feel there's a lot of similarities there. And, and, and it's been very interesting for me to apply things that I never saw being done in so natural and just do them in chess and all of a sudden see like oh yeah see this works here too uh, so that was really fun and uh, and it continues to be a, uh, really interesting to uh, to innovate in the chess world because i feel there's so many areas where things have kind of always been done a certain way and then if you come in with this kind of new perspective at least from an outsider's perspective it's totally not so new, but like for within the chess world, if you come with this kind of new perspective and people are like, oh yeah, I don't know why we did that that way, but let's do it this way. So that's, uh, that's, that continues to motivate me to, to be in this. It's a very inspiring story. And if you guys want to hear the full story and a bunch of other stuff, plus an earlier version of the podcast, um, just look for the last episode. I think it was about a year ago. I think it was also in July, a little over a year ago. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember exactly. Maybe it's end of June. But it's, it's it's been cool because it's been uh, 
it's been a wild ride. And also I want to thank you personally, you know, Chespel has helped my podcast so much. Um, and re- I really, uh, you know, I, I enjoy having, I, I mean, I, the sponsorship is, uh, is like a dream come true basically for this podcast. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a wild ride the last year. Uh, yeah. and I mean, yeah. uh, shout out to all the podcasters in the world, you know, Ben Johnson, OG pod, just podcast guy. But I mean, um, just will sponsors quite a few of them. Obviously, none of them are as great as the 64 a chess <laughs> podcast. But, you know, they are they're also pretty great. And um, uh, there's this one called Chess Fields. Right. With JJ. Good. And then, yeah, uh, uh, we have the chess angle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I'm missing one or two now already. Now, now I'm starting to feel bad. Now I have to look up the chess podcast list that we have. Um, uh, Chess Journeys yeah, with uh, okay. Dr. So there's Kevin. A few of them that we sponsor, that we support. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one I was trying to think of that I couldn't come up with because I kept getting stuck. Um, but thanks for shouting him out too. Um, but there's there's a lot of a lot of good folks out there doing doing you know sharing their their chess journeys and like giving insight and getting great players and great coaches and like wonderful chess personalities on the podcast to 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 talk about chess and like show all the different facets of what's what's happening out there and uh, and that's great so uh, uh if chessable can support those in in some minor way and, and help them you know then then we're doing a service to the chess community and i think that's that's why we do it 100 final question before i wrap it up what's your favorite casey musgrave song um probably not the new record but the last record um and i would have to say butterflies just because it's such a simple light pop song but um i like like a lot of those uh, a lot of their a lot of her album um so what's the other one the space cowboy one's really good too yeah uh you can have your space cowboy yeah, i think those two yeah, yeah that one when it rains it pours that's my favorite rainbow that's my favorite one that's, um, that's good can you sing the whole song on the podcast i think everybody would love to hear this <laughs> when it rains it pours <laughs> but you didn't even notice you took it there it ain't nice. raining anymore <laughs> hard to breathe when all you know is the struggle of staying above the rising water line i'll stop there <laughs> pretty good with good the stuff. piano yeah it's pretty good stuff anyway uh thanks for listening to me sing on 64 chess podcast uh and geared thank you as always for coming on i guess i'll we'll do this again next year i'm sure maybe even sooner uh who knows maybe i'll see you in europe or something. i mean i really want to go to barcelona I, I miss spain on my on my europe travels and spain spain and italy are like two places i really wanted to go couldn't find time to really you know i feel like you got to do those places properly you can't just like go for like you know two days three days you got to like got to make a spanish trip you got to make an italian trip you got to really like take it in so barcelona just mecca of the world man i believe it i believe it we'll have to uh, i i promise you if i'm ever you know before the pandemic i was supposed to go to barcelona actually and <laughs> the day of my flight basically was like the day that new york shut down so like we never <laughs> went so i owe like i owe a big trip to barcelona and uh look up for any chess player interested look up the catalans it's crazy man they literally have three full months of back-to-back classical games. You can literally play for three months every single day. You can play a classical game. This is where? The Catalans? Yeah, the Catalan League. It's like like back-to-back-to-back tournaments and like games, and it's crazy. There's, That's just, sick. Can, yeah, it's 24-7. Just the city just lives and breathes chess. It's uh, I had no idea, but it's really, really, uh, really total chess city. Yeah, well, then, you've, then you found a great home for chess, you know. Um, for and sure. yes, so I guess I'll see you in Barcelona. And uh, until then, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. You can check me out uh, at 64 Podcast on Twitter. I have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash 64 Podcast. The link is in the description below. I have a YouTube, I have a Twitch. Going to do something with it at some point. Check those out also in the description below. Uh, you can follow Geared on Twitter as well at Black Atlantic. Must follow if you're into, you know, chess Twitter at all. Um, a lot of good takes there. Um, Yeah, this was a pleasure as always, and uh, I'm sure we'll do it again. So thanks for listening, guys, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, man.